0: Please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. While you're turning there, a couple of things. One, I hope you'll come back tonight to uh, hear from Jim and Claudia Jung, missionaries that we have taken on, uh, supporting, who will be um, heading out, and actually we're meeting with them tonight because they're going back to the West Coast uh, shortly and won't be able to get back this way to meet with us. So I hope you'll come hear from them about their ministry uh, but also, just a note about singing, um, I was in junior high, went on a youth group retreat to Pensacola, and uh, we went down on a Sunday afternoon and after our morning service and got down there in time for the evening service at McElwain Memorial Presbyterian Church. And um, I don't remember too much about that church. Don Graham was the pastor of it, had been there for a long time. And one of the reasons we went there was my pastor at the time had been converted uh, in that church as a young man, uh, not as a child, but as a young man, they had led a, a rather pagan life up to that point, but had become a believer in that church. I don't remember the sermon. I vaguely remember the building. But the one thing I remember, the impression I have of that church to this day was that was a congregation that sang. I remember to this day being impressed with their singing. It was impressive. And I know, you know, we're half, the room's half filled here and it's early in the morning. And, you know, by the, by the uh, Gloria, most of you still aren't awake yet. But, um, people do notice. So sing with all your heart. Well, we're doing something a little different. We've been in Romans. We're going to take a break, uh, through December, uh, to look at some themes related to Advent and the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, sort of following somewhat loosely the uh, church lectionary, uh, the revised common lectionary, some of the texts that pertain to Advent as we did in our Old and New Testament readings and the Psalter reading as well to sort of focus our minds on Christ uh, as we look forward to Christmas. So this morning we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll read verses 4 through 9, but we're actually going to give our attention to verses 7 through 9. In some ways, this may sound familiar, as we've been looking at in Romans, Paul's greeting to the church. Uh, so here, looking at his greetings to the church in Corinth. So please give careful attention to the Word of God. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge Father, we thank You for Your Word, for its power, for its truth, for its warmth. Father, we pray that as we study this passage this morning, that You would reveal Yourself to us. You would speak to us from Your Word, that we might know Your grace that would draw us to Christ and that would build us up and equip us in Him. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And I remember as a child, asking my parents, how long till Christmas? You know, the answer could be something like, oh, eight months, you know. Of course, they could have said eight days, and to me as a child, you know, time frame, it would have, either way, it would have seemed like forever. Well, today is the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, Advent actually marks the beginning of the church or liturgical calendar, so Happy New Year, Advent, of course, is that season of uh, preparation, of anticipation of the celebration of the birth of Christ 2,000 years ago, but the very fact that we celebrate the birth of Christ so long ago and anticipate the celebration of that event should also remind us, like God's people in the Old Testament, we too— Are a waiting people. We too are a people who live looking forward to, as well as back to, but looking forward to the appearing of our Messiah. And this passage today tells us three things with respect to this. The fact that we too are a waiting people. And that's the very first thing, that we do wait, that we are waiting. Uh, that while we celebrate the birth of Christ, we recognize that 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 hasn't ended that time of anticipation, of waiting. But we too are in a period of waiting because we are looking forward to the second advent, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see this in verse 7. Paul describes in verse 4 and so forth how he gives thanks to God for them, for the grace of God in them, uh that they've been enriched in all speech and all knowledge and it's interesting he mentions those because you may know if you know the book of 1 Corinthians that they come up later uh as Paul writes to them these were particular issues uh that the Corinthian church was dealing with he may, he mentions even uh in verse 7 they're not lacking in any spiritual gift and you'll know perhaps that 1 Corinthians contains much of the bible's teaching about this whole matter of spiritual gifts, as Paul has to write to them and instruct them, even correct them in some misguided ideas that they have, and even their tendency toward pride over certain gifts that they had. And so Paul, at the outset, acknowledges those things as good things. While they may be misunderstood, while they may be misused, these are gifts, these are blessings that God has given to the church in Corinth so that you're not lacking in any spiritual Gift. But then he goes on to say, as you wait. Those words may seem incidental, but part of the problem with the church in Corinth was they felt like they'd arrived. In fact, Paul has to be somewhat sarcastic with them. He says, Already you've begun to reign, and that without us. Already you were kings, and we wish you had begun to reign. We do wish that the end had come, that that new age had been ushered in in its fullness and you had begun to reign. But Paul, even as he says that, if you know the context, there is meaning in those words as you wait. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. In a pretty subtle way, he reminds them that they haven't arrived. That the fullness of their salvation has not yet been ushered in. It won't be until the return of Christ. We need to remember that. As well, uh, that we are a people waiting. So he says, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what are they waiting for? Well, the revealing. It's a word that Paul sometimes uses. Uh, his appearing, the parousia, the, the revealing, the appearing of Christ in this world. And we need to recognize that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting not just for a spiritual movement, although. The Lord graciously sends his Holy Spirit at times in times of revival and reformation to strengthen and, and revive his church and, and increase its influence in the world and so forth. And we, we pray for that. We, we thank God for those times and look for those times. But that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for something to appear. We're looking for something to be revealed. And that is the, the bodily return of Christ in glory where every eye will see him, where it could be something, I don't know if this will happen or not, probably not, but it could be reported on the news as a historical event, a real space-time appearing of Christ. That's what we're waiting for, something that is so great a disruption that it will bring to an end the world as we know it, time and history as we know it, We'll introduce the judgment, but also uh, usher in the, the age of the new heavens and the new earth. When Christ's redemptive work is complete, when this universe will be renovated, restored, remade in a sinless and glorified state. That's what we're looking forward to. That's what we're waiting for. It's something so significant that it will change the universe forever. That's what we're looking for. And in fact, the word Advent is a Latin form of the very Greek word that uh, Paul uses here, parousia, the revealing or appearing. Uh, that's what we're looking for. It's what advent means, appearing, to be revealed. But the question is, how are we waiting? We are waiting. That's what we're looking forward to. There's something we're anticipating. Well, how do we wait? Well, this word he uses, he says, as you are waiting for, implies an active waiting, not a passive Waiting. And the difference is just recognizing uh, maybe that some event is going to be coming up and it's not here yet, so you're waiting for it. Uh, that, as distinguished, say, from a child who knows that Christmas is one week away and they're waiting and they're thinking about it. They're anticipating and they can hardly wait and they look forward to it. That's an active kind of waiting. An eager anticipation is what Paul is describing here. It's the very same word he uses in Romans 8.23. Which the ESV translates, not only to creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So it's this active waiting, this eager anticipation. Like, but it's been 2,000 years. Yeah, since the birth of Christ, since his first coming now, and we're continuing to wait his second coming. It's been 2,000 years. So, there's several ways that I think the Scripture might respond to that. I mean, the implication is, it's been 2,000 years. Maybe he's never coming back. Well, there are a couple ways to think about that from the Scripture. Consider this. Uh, It was 2,000 years from the time of Abraham until Bethlehem. That's a long time. It's it's been as long as from the birth of Christ till now, as it was, till they awaited, you know, from his promises to Abraham, until Christ came. It it was a long time then. And that's not to say, you know, if you had perfect symmetry for the obsessive-compulsive among you, you know, 2,000 years before, 2,000 years after, it all balances out. It may be 20,000 years. It may be 200,000 years. I don't know. But simply to point out, we think it's been a long time, but this is nothing new. God's not in a hurry, and that's the second thing. Second Peter three nine, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. And Peter's talking about this very objection. Where is this coming, he promised? Well, Peter says, God's not slow the way you might think he's slow. It's not as though he's just dawdling and just hasn't gotten around to it yet. Peter says, but he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We're to understand this time not as God's indifference, but precisely the opposite. God's patience, God's window of opportunity to our fathers, mothers, to you, to your children, your grandchildren, however long he waits so that they might believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Because when that trumpet sounds, or you die, whichever comes first, it's too late. So we're to interpret this time not as God's indifference, but as his passion for the salvation of his people. So think about just biblical history. It's not really been that long. Think about God's not being in a hurry, but wanting people to come to salvation Uh, Our inspiration ought to be Simeon. Remember Simeon in Luke chapter 2? There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And finally his waiting, finally his patience was rewarded when the Lord Jesus was in fact born. And God so ordered it that he lived at that time where he lived to see the fulfillment of that first coming, that first advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be a generation of Christians who are alive to witness the second advent. Whether we will be among them or not, I don't know. But there will be those Christians who are alive, who are living here on the earth, who will witness the return of Christ and will be glorified without experiencing death, like Elijah was, like Enoch was be transformed. They won't die and go into that intermediate state. Most of us, and certainly believers who've come and gone before us, have done that. But like Simeon, this righteous man, devout man, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And as God so ordered it, he saw it. He witnessed it then with his own eyes. His patience was rewarding. So we need to recognize that we are in this waiting mode. Uh, that we are looking forward to something that is going to come. It may or may not come in our own lifetimes. I would say probably not, but we don't know. But that's precisely the point. We don't, we don't know. It may well come in the lifetimes of some of us that Christ returns. But we need to assume this waiting posture that we're looking forward to something that's going to happen. Does that register as part of your consciousness as you go about your week? Well, it's probably not something you think about every moment of every day, no. But it should be something that occurs to you regularly, that we are a people who are looking forward to something. And as we celebrate Christmas, and as we look back and celebrate that first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, it should remind us that we're also looking forward to the second coming. Of the Lord Jesus Christ, like the people of God of old, we too are in a waiting mode. So we're waiting, but in the meantime, notice what Paul goes on to say in the end of verse or at the beginning of verse eight. He says we are waiting for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. Now, at the risk of sounding like an owl, who is who? Well, verse 8, who will sustain you? Well, it mentions the Lord Jesus Christ just before that, and it could point back to him. But then it says, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think it refers back to verse 4. It's talking about God. I give thanks to God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. God, who, and there's a word here that ESV does not translate, who also, or who will also sustain you. I think it's referring back to, to God the Father here. Ultimately, the, the result is the same, and that is that we are sustained. Uh, you could also render the word, we're confirmed, we are established, who will sustain you, who will confirm you to the end. Now, again, thinking of the context, that's pretty remarkable. If you think about the church he was writing to, a church that had some pretty serious problems with spiritual gifts, with immorality, uh with leadership problems, uh even celebrating the Lord's Supper. They seem to seem to mess that up. But Paul could say of them, of, of God who will sustain you, who will establish you to the end. We need to recognize that God is at work here. This is this is his work. And even to a church that experiences some of Paul's most severe warnings, he's confident that God is going to sustain them and keep them to the end. Salvation is the work of, first and foremost, of of God. So yes, we don't know when Christ will return. Well, what about the meantime? There are a lot of hard things that can happen here. Will we make it? Well, not on our own we won't, but we need to recognize that God who promised to us the return of Christ is the same God who will sustain us and keep us faithful, keep us in him until that end finally comes. Whether it's our own end and our own death in which our soul goes to be with the Lord and we await that glorious day of resurrection, the return of Christ, or if it is with our own eyes that we witness the return of Christ. He sustains us. He confirms us. He establishes us to the end. And that's encouraging. The Lord has hold of us No one can snatch us out of his hand. Not even we ourselves. You know, I mean, the scriptures promise, he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. God began this work in you. He's going to complete this work in you, and he's going to sustain you until you arrive at that completion. And so that's what Paul says, who will sustain you to the end. But not only are we waiting, not only are we sustained, but you think, wow, well, if God keeps me, then I have to appear before Christ on the day of judgment. And, and that can't be pretty, you know, do I want to be sustained. Well, yes, you do. Uh, and, and believer in Christ, there's very good reason, because notice that we are prepared. Notice what he says in verse eight, who will sustain you to the end. You know, we think, uh-oh, guiltless. In the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The day of our Lord Jesus Christ is the day of judgment. It is the day of reckoning. But you see, the verdict for those who are in Christ has already been pronounced. What is it? Guiltless. You think, well, I know all the things I've done. Does it God know all the things I've done? Yes. But that's precisely why we're trusting in Christ. Because Christ bore our guilt. Christ suffered and died and paid the penalty that our guilt deserves. And we receive the sentence that Christ deserves. We deserve the verdict that Christ won through his perfect obedience, which is guiltless. You know, as Pilate, when Jesus appeared before Pilate prior to his crucifixion, uh, Pilate three times says, I find no guilt in this man. Pilate was saying much more than he knew. Paul, it was just saying there's no reason we should execute this man. But the, in fact, there was no guilt whatsoever in Jesus. Certainly nothing that would warrant the death penalty, but, but nothing that would warrant anything at all. Because there was nothing but pure righteousness, perfect obedience. He didn't sin, even in his thoughts, once. I find no guilt In him. Pilate was saying far more than he knew. But when you and I, in Christ Jesus, stand before God. That's what the Lord says of us. Find no guilt in him. Because Christ took it away. Because Christ suffered the judgment for it. So that's done with. And so what we have here is our verdict. Who will sustain you to the end guiltless? In the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's that's what it means to be a Christian. It's not that I try harder to do the right things and try harder not to do the wrong things. Is that Christ did it all for me. And trusting in Him, His verdict, His righteousness becomes mine. Because I look at the cross and see how He got what my sins Deserve Not just that physical execution, but, but the judgment of, of God the Father, guiltless in the day of Christ Jesus. That's why we can wait with eager anticipation and not with dread. Dear friend, if you're not in Christ, no, you should dread that day like the plague and much worse than the plague, because it will be. It's appointed to die, the scriptures say, and then comes judgment. You should dread that day with everything you're being. But better yet, you should repent of your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and be right with God through him and change that dread into uh, an anticipation of that day of Christ Jesus that far exceeds that of any child looking forward to Christmas morning as we look forward to the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes when he wrote to the Romans in chapter eight, verse one, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Which, by the way, not just to, to, to internalize this, but we can, because God has forgiven you, you can forgive yourself. I mean this this does wonders for the soul, for the psyche, psychologically. To know that God forgives me. He accepts me. He loves me. He holds me guiltless in Christ Jesus. To be able to forgive ourselves. To let go of those aching pangs of conscience that trouble us over things we've done. When we recognize God is forgiven. He's forgotten. He doesn't hold that against you any longer. What a a blessing. What a joy. So I ask, are you ready to stand before Christ? Are you prepared to, to, to stand before the judge? Are you guiltless in him now, Because you see, now is the time to get that all sorted out. Well, how do we know all this is going to happen? We're waiting, but are we just you know, waiting for God? Do, do we know that someone's going to show up? And if he does show up, do we know we're going to be okay? Yes. Verse 9 tells us why. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is faithful. God doesn't say one thing and do another. God doesn't say one thing and forget to follow through. God is faithful. We are waiting for something that is going to happen. God is faithful to sustain us until the day that, that appears. He appears. And when He appears, we will be found guiltless. We will be found righteous in Christ Jesus. So that For the believer in Christ, that will be a day of great joy, of vindication, of hope's Fulfilled beyond what any ear has heard, any eye has seen, or any mind can conceive, as the passage in Isaiah we read earlier says. That Paul, of course, draws from when he writes to the Corinthians. Well, in his book "Good to Great," the author Jim Collins tells the story of meeting James Stockdale, who was a a navy naval aviator, was the highest ranking. Prisoner in the Vietnam War in Hanoi Hilton. he had been shot down, captured, was imprisoned for seven years, highest ranking uh, official in the Hanoi Hilton and suffered terribly, suffered beatings, uh, and in fact, uh, inflicted injuries on himself to prevent them using him for propaganda and so forth, uh, but an almost unbelievably harrowing experience. And uh, Jim Collins in the book asks Stockdale, he says, how did you survive? You know, how does a human being put up with that for so long? How did you survive? Stockdale told him, he said, I made it because of faith that my story would turn out well. Collins said, well, then what kind of people didn't survive? And the former POW quickly answered, he said, oh, that's easy. The optimists. He said, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas. Christmas would come and go. Oh, well, we're going to be out by Easter. And Easter would come and go. Well, we're going to be out by this next Christmas. And Christmas would come and go. And he said, they died of a broken heart. By the way, if that sounds familiar. Maybe the name Harold Camping should Come to mind. Camping, of course, was the one who's repeatedly predicted the return of Christ, the end of the world, and it didn't happen. By which, uh, uh, speaking of which, he recently repented of that, apologized for all of that date setting. But they would set a date and get their hopes up, only to find them dashed. And Collins writes about how Stockdale turned to him. And he said, this is an important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end which you can never afford to lose, with discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. And uh, Colin says he carries this mental image of Stockdale admonishing his his optimists, we're not getting out by Christmas, deal with it. Well, Christ may well not come back before Christmas. Uh, Christ may not come back by the end of the year 2012, Christ may not return before that big test that you have coming up, and you hope he will and bail you out of it. So deal with it. We do have to deal with it. There have been no shortage of people who've set dates and, and disappointed themselves and others. We don't engage in that. Jesus said nobody knows, and so we shouldn't set expectations in our minds that he's going to come back before this or that date or the other. But to paraphrase Stockdale, don't lose faith. That your story is going to turn out well. So we wait. We wait with anticipation. We wait strengthened by God sustaining us. We wait knowing that in Christ we will appear before him guiltless. We wait. Because while we don't know when it will happen, we know that it will happen. Christ returns. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for that great hope, the second appearing of our Savior, not in obscure humility as before in Bethlehem, but in triumphant glory. Father, we thank you that this world is heading toward that culmination that glorious fulfillment of all of your promises of salvation, Lord, which we experience now in part, but we look forward to experiencing them in full. And so, Lord, we do pray that final prayer of the Bible. Come, Lord Jesus. Come in the time, Father, that you have established that he should return. We don't know when that is. but You do. And we know that it will happen. So, Father, pray that we'll be ready, prepared, in Christ Looking forward to his return so that that will be a day, whether it occurs in our lifetime or not, a day of indescribable joy and exhilaration and triumph. And all because of Christ. And we pray it in his name. Amen.